Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing teal-colored-haired co-host today is Bo Lake, and our guest is Jeremy Whitley. Welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Yes. Okay, so let's talk about what we're drinking. So it's very cold here um, in in the hills of North Carolina. So in my um, World's Best Boss office mug, um, which... Somebody who worked for me gave this to me, so I'm not quite sure what that says. But anyway, I made um, a hot toddy, but I made it this time a little bit different because I made it like a tea, but then I put whiskey in it, like you do. By the <laughs> way, honey whiskey is the best for this because then you don't have to put honey in it. Hmm. Okay, Bo, what creative drink do you have for us today? Mine is not creative. It is only a normal coffee, but... It's also cold here. There's snow on the ground. So that's my excuse. I'm lucky that there's not snow on the ground here, but it's still cold. Jeremy, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a uh, a coffee uh, from the uh, Kauai uh, Coffee Company, which uh, is, I think, a macadamia nut coffee. Um, It's very good, but just a coffee uh, because I do have to drive to go pick up my kids later. Fine. I will drink for all of us. I don't mind. I don't mind. Okay. So for our listeners that may not know you, Jeremy, what is your uh, our origin story? What do you write? Where do we, do we begin? Let's start, shall we? Uh, yeah, I have, um, you know, I've been a bit of a nerd all my life. I, I got it, I think, from my dad, who was, uh, you know, who I, I grew up with him reading uh, Marvel comics and Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis and and every every other fantasy thing under the sun. And, um, you know, I, I always uh, really enjoyed those. And uh, I had always wanted to be a writer. Um, and so I, I went through you know years of, of school. I went to the University of North Carolina for creative writing. And uh, there coming out of there, the feeling was uh, they it's a great program but they really hate anything that smells at all like genre fiction um <laughs> so anything that's fun to write you know yeah now they're or... like write a forlorn literary fiction story about yeah no i get it and yeah, that's I, unfortunate I, I described of most of the programs. stories that people wrote in there as uh stories about uh sad 30 something white men um <laughs> it's sort of like the vibe um so yeah i mean coming out of there I, I just wanted to like write things that were fun again um and so i i got into comics which i'd, I'd really been into as a kid and i started sort of self-publishing some of my own stuff with uh you know my friends who were artists um i did uh, my first comic which is is not widely available these days is called the order of dagonet and it's about a uh Basically, the uh, all the mythological creatures of Britain return and start wreaking havoc on on England, and the only people who can stop them are the knights of Britain. But of course, they're modern knights, so they're all actors and authors and rock stars and things like that. Um, I love that. Yeah, well, thank you. That that one was a lot of fun. Uh, it never really got anywhere. Um, and as I was doing that, I started writing another book uh, with another friend of mine. Uh, it's called Princeless. Um, it's about a, a princess who is uh locked away by her parents to wait for a handsome prince to come rescue her she decides to uh break out and rescue herself instead teams up with her guardian dragon to go uh rescue all of her sisters who are are also locked up um and that one uh that one got a publisher and it got some acclaim and it got nominated for some awards and it won some other ones um you know we got nominated for a couple of eisner awards which are basically as 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 good as it gets in comics awards um and so that uh, that sort of led into you know princess being an, an ongoing thing, and then our, our spinoff to that Raven the Pirate Princess, which I describe as my gay teen pirate soap opera. Um, and then yeah, I mean those those sort of got me jobs other places, and uh, you know, continued to uh, make new stuff as well as as those, and uh, got a chance to to do some other cool things like writing a lot of. A lot of issues of My Little Pony and and getting to play around in the Marvel universe some myself. Very cool. Well, it it sounds like the cool thing is that you definitely went down what you love as writing, right? 
Yeah. Um, I also love that you didn't bend to what other people are saying and writers out there. I hope you really pay attention to that. There is an audience for what you want to write. It just depends and you may have to look for your audience, but it's there. So let's talk about um, your most recent work. What is your most recent work? Oh, um, yeah, so many uh, coming out at any given time. Um, I think, let's see, just in the last, so in, in February, I have a, a new story coming out, uh, which is uh, called The Cold Ever After, which I is my first sort of um, really adult graphic novel and that it has uh, lots of blood and violence and sex and nudity and all that fun stuff. Um, and it is a, I described it as an sort of a queer Arthurian noir story. Um, you know, it has elements of some of my favorite things being, you know, Arthurian literature, stuff about, you know, knights and dragons and all that. But then like with a, the edge of that sort of like seedy underbelly crime noir, you know, having a, a PI who is uh, sort of narrating everything as it's going on, because it's about a, uh, it's about a, a woman who is the champion of this uh this kingdom who was their their knight who uh sort of had an illicit fair affair with the uh queen and got got booted and exiled and now is being sort of called back into service because the princess has gone missing and she is the only one the queen trusts to to find the princess who she basically helped to raise as if she were her own oh wow that's very cool thank you yeah, yeah that, that one is um it's one that has been sort of in the works for a long time and has bounced around to a couple of different publishers. But my uh, my illustrator on that, Megan Wong, is is really incredible. Worked on some stuff on Princeless uh, with me, and that one was just sort of like a passion project that we've been sort of slowly making for like five years in the background now. No, and sometimes that's yeah, time, 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 time. So where do you get the ideas for your? stories like i love that idea i love the detective narrating like all that stuff where do you get the ideas because you're kind of taking some tropes and like twisting them right on their heads yeah i mean that's sort of my my favorite thing i think especially as somebody who grew up on fantasy stuff there are a lot of sort of recurring tropes that you see over and over and over and uh, a lot that um you know as as you read them and as you get older you think oh wow don't love that we're doing this again. What if, what if we did something different? Like, what if we turned this thing on its head, turn it, you know, just any, any impulse you have to do the same thing again. What if it just, what if you just go like 90 degrees from that and do something that's, that's unexpected and different. And I think with Princeless, that's always sort of been my rule with that is if I feel myself steering into something that seems really obvious, I try to go the other direction. Um, and in, in the case of the, the cold ever after, um, it was a, a thing where I had been working on a lot of like licensed books, things that I, you know, got paid to write. And so only occasionally I got to decide what I actually wrote about. Um, and I really wanted to like do some new original stuff and I, I wanted some fresh ideas. And so I, I sort of took the the concept of like, what if I took these genres that I, I like and I enjoy and I've found a way to like put a couple together in, in ways that like I'd never seen before. Um, so, you know, Arthurian uh, questing and, and uh, noir, I feel like have a lot in common in, you know, having that person who is, is sort of like subservient to this, this higher power that's, that's manipulating them and, and doesn't, doesn't have all the facts and is trying to figure everything out on their own. Um, but has they have you know stylistically and time period wise very different so just like what if you know we took that and we had sort of just you know this this dab of sort of game of thrones court intrigue stuff and um you know made that sort of the the impetus for this to be a noir story inside of this fantasy world i love that Bo. before i monopolize all the questions what is it like to write something that is uh, someone else's intellectual property, like working on My Little Pony? Um, it is. Uh, it can be fun. I mean, there. It's nice to like 
get to play in that sandbox because I think, you know, with, with my little pony or, or in my case, even more with some of the Marvel stuff, like these are characters that I, I know well, in some cases I grew up with and like to get to tell those stories and know that, you know, somebody else is going to read your version of that, that that's going to inform their like feelings about this character and, and to really get to like the heart of these characters that you are really important to you is, is such a cool experience. Um, but also it means being sort of at the whim of, of, you know, not just, you know, you have your editor, which most of the editors I've worked with are great. Um, but there is sort of this looming elder God type creature that's just called editorial. Um, mm -hmm. And editorial will say things to me and I do not know who is saying them or for what reason I will just get an, an email that says, editorial thinks this or editorial says we can't do that editorial says that you know this is this is the romantic relationship and these people are not to do this that or the other um which is a when you when you're used to telling your own stories especially when you're somebody like me who occasionally tells them sort of by the seat of your pants when you have a, a good idea even though it's not in the outline you just get to like like all right everything's changing now um you know having so much oversight that uh, if you do that, if you change everything at the last minute, uh, you've created a, a mountain of work for yourself and several other people. And there's a good chance you're just going to end up right back where you started anyway. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a strange experience. And I think one that you have to kind of, it's got a bit of a bell curve, like you have to figure out how to make it work and how to play the system a little better, or at least let it work for you. Um, I've I made the comment to one of my my editors on My Little Pony at some point that like all of those comics have to go through both my comics editorial at IDW and then they have to go on to Hasbro because Hasbro owns the intellectual property. They have to approve everything that goes in there. Um, and occasionally my my editor will highlight something and they'll say, oh, Hasbro is not going to like this. And uh I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. I get that they're probably not going to like that. Let's leave it in because a lot of times, you know, people feel like they need to have some kind of note on a thing. Um, and so if we leave that as like the thing that people are, you know, that the Hasbro editorial is going to say, you can't do that. And then this other thing, we don't know about that. Maybe we can get away with that other thing. If we have this thing for them to nix, knowing that they're probably going to nix it from the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, I, I found not just with, with Hasbro, but with, you know, intellectual property that'll that'll work because it's, you know, people feel like they. Uh, I feel like it's mean to say they feel like they need to justify their their job, their existence, but also like, you know, anytime you're you're reading something like that and you're like, I don't have any notes, you feel like, what is the point of me? at this at this yeah. juncture so um, is anyone reading this are they going to throw it away what's going on yeah yeah the the idea that you know uh because i definitely had the moment where i felt like they didn't have any notes did they read it because <laughs> they did a lot of they did crazy stuff in here i don't know why they wouldn't have any notes so I've, I've had at least one uh my little pony story that i was like this is super dark uh there's no way they're gonna go for this <laughs> And then they have they've signed off on it. I I, I wrote a story uh, it was called The Seizure of the Crystal Empire, where we introduced these like I had written them as sort of like shadow ponies. I was like, you know, they're kind of shadowy. It's hard to see exactly what they look like. And then my artist drew them. And what he drew was horrifying. What he drew <laughs> was like a horse skeleton with like shade around it. So like you know it, it looked like they were running from giant horse skeletons and i was like there is no way hasbro's gonna sign off on this and then it came back and hasbro was like great we love it it's like are you i mean do, do you do you though uh did, did we send the right file is yeah. that did you is this the file you actually it's always funny when you have those kind of thoughts about anything and the person receiving it is like eh, good and you're like but wait there is supposed to be a reaction. Aren't you going to at least question it? Aren't you going to wonder what I was <laughs> We were thinking? supposed to fight about this. I prepared myself for a fight. Yeah, and that's that's the most surprising thing because I've I've had the 
at, at like San Diego Comic-Con and things like that, I've had the, uh, the pleasure to meet some of the people who, you know, work on the other side for Hasbro, who I don't normally see. And that's the only story that I've ever had somebody from Hasbro be like, oh, this story, I really loved that one. And I was like, yeah, okay, all right. Like, well, I, I love, love it too, but it, it seemed like, nightmares. <laughs> yeah, it, it did seem like we were going to give kids nightmares. Well, you know, I got to say something about that. I think it's interesting as an artist, and I'd love to hear your feedback on this before we go to break, is as an artist, we have a perception of what we think people will like about our stories or what we like, what are our favorite parts and the parts we loved creating. And then we're expecting other people to do that. And then they're like, Hey, I like the dog Sal that you put in the book. And you're like, that dog was just there. Cause somebody was walking a dog and I need somebody to walk a dog. Like, and they're like, Sal's the best dog, write a whole story about Sal. And you're like, uh, okay. 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 Cool. <laughs> What are your thoughts and what feedback have you gotten like that, that you're just, you were totally like, hmm, but what, but what about my cool character that I create? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I've, I've gotten a, a lot of, of those sort of things um, in, I, I think in writing uh, IP stuff, especially with Marvel, it, it's you never really know what people are going to latch on to because uh there's there's people that just love certain characters and then we'll read anything with them in it, even if like they have no interest in your book. If you know, say Spider-Man is in it that week, they will come for Spider-Man. Um and yeah, having you know, working on uh Unstoppable Wasp, which was my my big book I did at Marvel, which had like a lot of stuff that we were dealing with that was like big emotional beats and stuff. Uh, but then like you know, I, I had sort of written this dynamic of, you know, two of the existing characters, the the original Wasp, um, Jan, uh, and uh, Bobby, who's Mockingbird, has been sort of like her, the character's two mentors that were sort of working together. And a lot of people like really fixated on that relationship. And I created some sort of like online ship where like people were just like, <laughs> Bobby and Janet are like, they're my ultimate ship. They should be together. Like, they definitely love each other. And I was like, all right. No, like, they're together for, like, a total of 10 pages in the whole, like, 10, 10 issue run. But, like, yeah, they, they're, you know, it was a playful, fun thing. But, like, some people have gotten really, really much more into that than I had ever uh, imagined or intended at that point. That's very, very cool. Okay, we have to take a quick break and we will be right back to him with Drinking With Authors. Hey, listeners, you know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Eerie Travels. Woo-woo, Eerie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Oh my gosh, I just made Bo laugh. AI monkey in the works. Um, but to my AI overlords out there, I love and appreciate you. And in the future, when you take over, anything you need me to do, you just let me know. Okay, so um, Bo, what's your next question? Well, I had one and now you made me forget what it was. Um... Is there any uh, IP uh, that you want to work for that you wish with all your heart they would call and be like, hey, you want to write a book for us? Ooh. Um, that's a tough one because I, I like challenges. So, um, you know, I, I, when something comes to me and I'm like, I don't know what I would do with that, that, that to me is like an interesting situation as well where it's just like, all right, like, let's figure out how to make this work. Um, you know, I'm, I, 
I've always been a big sucker for for X-Men stuff and I've gotten a chance to write a few X-Men here and there but uh you know I'd like to I'd always love to do something big and and weird with X-Men um cuz they're they're great at doing weird stuff they they're very adaptable characters I I find um you know they do a lot of like racism metaphors but also a lot of space operas like it's just sort of the way they run um but yeah, I think like I, I love doing stuff like that, but I also love challenges of of sort of reinventing things. Um, I, I got a chance to, for unfortunately brief time, uh, because of the, the publisher at the time, uh, but I got a chance to write some uh, a relaunch of Rainbow Bright and um, getting to like Ooh. get in that world and be like, all right. There's a lot of vagary as to how things work in this world because it was basically all created to sell toys and, and greeting cards. But like to get in there and be like, all right, I'm gonna try and figure out like how the mechanics of this work and give like a real like real world building uh, exercise in this. Um, that was that was a lot of fun to sort of like just get in and, and get my hands dirty. So I feel like the the thing I want to write is like. A thing that I, I I don't even know is you know an option right now. Rainbow Bright, like that's interesting. I loved Rainbow Bright as a kid. I love that cartoon. It made me yeah. So and happy. going back and watching the cartoon as an adult is wild because one, some of the stuff is is super dark, um, but then there are a lot of things in there that you're like, oh, so this was the toy we wanted to sell this week. So there's not so much a plot in this episode as a toy. <laughs> no it's it's interesting it's true though but i think that's true with a lot of comics and stuff like that you go back and you watch them as an adult like i mean one of my first things into that was scooby-doo you go back and watch scooby-doo and you're like wow there are so many drug references <laughs> like, and not bad but it's just like shaggy is a stoner so is probably scooby i mean it's it's bad and it's so funny how they um, but it's true with like the Flintstones and things like that. If you watch all of those as an adult, you go, look at what these people managed to slide in. The kids would be completely like, yeah, it's true SpongeBob too. Um, okay, so what are your future projects? What's on the horizon for you? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, I've got some stuff that's that's not announced that hopefully uh, people will be able to keep up and, and pay attention with uh, what I have going on. Uh, I do have a, a book that was announced that I'm, I'm co-writing with my my friend and co-podcast host, uh, Ben Kahn, which is, uh, it's it's called The uh, Dashing School for Wayward Princes, which is uh, about a, a group of, a, a group of princes who are, you know, scheduled to in, inherit their various thrones, who, uh, are not measuring up to what the expectations of princes are. Uh, so they get basically sent to a, a school that's jobs to teach them toxic masculinity um, so that they can all be uh, appropriately princely when they you know, take over, but sort of about them bonding and sort of finding this way to you know, work together to, to manipulate the system because um, they've all got sort of different issues from you know, the from the, the prince that would rather be a warlock to the prince that would rather be a princess to uh, the, you know, prince who's just too small or, uh, you know, likes boys. Everybody's got sort of their own thing that, uh, you know, makes them not sort of fit this bill and they're all trying to just figure out their way through it. Very cool. So you didn't talk about your podcast yet. Oh, yeah. So, uh, my my podcast is called Progressively Horrified, um, and uh, myself and, and two of my friends basically uh, talk about horror movies um, from a progressive lens. So you know we we sit down with uh, both both horror movies that are intended to be progressive in some aspects, and plenty that aren't. Um, that uh, our our sort of pitch is like uh, we're uh, judging horror movies by standards that they never agreed to. Um, yeah, the idea is, is sort of like, I feel like there's so much, um, so much of a feeling that the horror community in general, or even in some horror communities that, uh, there's a sort of 
broy atmosphere that they don't welcome analysis or, or welcome like people really picking them apart. Um, but I think there are a lot of you know progressive and, and queer folks who love horror and and get into that stuff and uh, really like want to have somebody to talk about it with and, and share it with. Uh, you know when it's it's I think generally considered to be sort of a low art form, but uh, you know sort of we get together and, and talk about uh, talk about a scary movie and the the ways in which it is and isn't progressive and also just bullshit about a lot about uh, all the crazy stuff that happens in horror movies. I love that. I love that. Okay, so um, Bo, questions. Well, now I need to know his favorite horror movie. <laughs> uh that's a tough one there's a lot of good ones but i i think my favorite is still the babadook um which i think just does what it's doing so perfectly and and has this like it's also just one of those movies that i know i watched at the right time because like mm-hmm. having kids it is a movie about like dealing with all the stuff that's going on in your life while also dealing with kids and uses this creature as as sort of this metaphor for like the ways in which you're failing your kids and the ways in which you're you know damaging like you know you're damaging your kids just by just you know trying to survive um and you know this this creature is sort of representing this this grief and this underpinning of of those emotions um and it was definitely at a point that I watched it where like I wasn't sleeping enough because you know I had a uh you know two year old and I was like, oh my God, I am the Babatook. Oh no. <laughs> like, and it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, I watched this at either the very right or very wrong time. Um <laughs> and it's it's one of those that every time every time I go back and watch it, even though like it's still just as affecting to me. There's a lot of horror movies that, you know, the second or third time you watch them, you know everything's coming and they, they just don't get you the same way. Um, that one is that one is a great one. And I think followed closely by just about everything Jordan Peele has ever made. <laughs> Very it reminded me that I watched Hereditary right after having a baby. And yeah, Oof. that was a bad, bad choice. <laughs> That's a rough one. Hereditary is still... Yeah. Is still one of the most traumatic horror movies I've ever watched. Um, definitely one of the few where something horrible happened and I had to like rewind it just to make sure what I thought had happened had actually happened. Um, which if anybody's seen Hereditary, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely like, it was one of those that coming away from it, I was like, I'm not sure. I'm glad I watched this movie. Uh, which I, I just I feel watched. uncomfortable. I just watched Ari Aster's newest movie, uh, Bo is Afraid, which uh, I felt very similar coming away from. I was like, I don't know that I'm happy that I watched this. Okay, so I have to say, I watched a movie in yeah, a different time frame, but uh, I watched Titanic right after I had um, my son, and that scene where the um, less uh, wealthy person they lock them downstairs and she's singing mm-hmm. for kids to sleep that acted Ugh. as a horror movie to me like i lost it i'm just gonna throw that at not a horror movie totally acted as a horror movie i was like could you imagine knowing that what's gonna happen and you're sitting there trying to sing your kids to sleep to give them some kind of comfort as this goes down that's um that reminds me a lot of uh right after my wife and i had our first kid uh my my daughter who's now 12 um we were like we finally had a a night that like our parents were watching the kids and we could just go out and do something and we decided to go see a movie and uh not really knowing anything about it we went to see beasts of the southern wild um and like five or ten minutes into that movie there's a scene where like this girl is home alone after her father has just like screamed at her and and mistreated her and uh she's trying to like cook for herself and she accidentally like sets part of the house on fire and my wife was like i have to leave i have to leave i cannot stay here anymore i cannot watch this movie right now and uh, so to this day i still have not seen anything but like the first 15 minutes of that film 
<laughs> She's like, the house is burning down. We have to go home. Yes. Well, I, mean, I have to not be in this room where this child is in danger on the screen. Well, that brings up a point about the creativity that we do because um, you don't look at that. I'm sure, you know, most people wouldn't think, oh my gosh, this is going to trigger parents. But maybe when the writers did it, went, this is going to trigger parents, right? It's that whole theory that um, you want to create an impact with your writing. What is, you know, you hope to create those kind of impacts where, you know, I hope when people read my stuff too, it does create those emotional impacts, good or bad in a way that there it, it's, um, you know, when we talk about thought provoking writing, that that's what we're talking about, right? Is that mm-hmm. you sit there and go, I'm, I'm not watching this movie. I gotta, I gotta go see if kids burn the house. Like, <laughs> And I mean, of course, our logic brain goes, our parents would notify us if the kids burn the house down. But logic disappears sometimes when things are triggered, right? Yeah, So absolutely. Okay, so what is something, um, uh, before we get into literary briefs after this or secondary question, um, what is something that you didn't expect as an author that you ran into? Um, I think... You know, I, I feel like throughout creative writing class, especially in college, there's this very, um, there was this thing with my my teachers where it was like, you just, you just want to create some kind of emotional impact. You want to have an impact on people. You want people to care about something. Um, and like, I think after having done it for a while, there's definitely moments where you're like, I, I do want to, I do want to have an impact, but I want it to be ultimately a a good impact like i do want you know people to come away from this uh you know i i often want people to come away from from my work feeling seen or feeling like somebody has has heard and recognized them and and um in a way that they hadn't before um and I, i feel like there's a real responsibility in there that historically a lot of like authors and stuff have have pushed off but like i i think very seriously in that like when when i was writing uh unstoppable wasp again there's um you know uh part of that story is that she is uh hank pym's daughter the original ant-man giant man who uh in comics historically like back in the 70s and 80s had mental problems and they were very bad at discussing what these mental problems were they didn't really understand them eventually they got sort of um nailed down as as one thing than another um but ultimately it just became a a question of like oh you know he has uh he's manic depressive um you know he's bipolar and uh, it's like oh well that's unfortunate because it ends up painting a very bad picture of of what a bipolar person looks like and what it's like to deal with that stuff and so when we were writing Nadia I I had this idea pretty early on that I was like well bipolar disorder is something that is passed down through families so if we get a chance I would like to write a story about her dealing with that um and uh you know it, it we ended up deciding to do it I ended up getting the chance to to tell this story and I have never spent so long writing so little uh, because it's you know <laughs> and it unfolds over about two issues of comics so about 40 pages total um and I just like it's a part of uh of writing that I never really thought about before that that like spent a lot of time talking to people and interviewing people and having people uh, read over what I'd written and then give me feedback. And, um, you know, we, we talk to people who, uh, have dealt with having bipolar disorder themselves, who have, you know, family members that have bipolar disorder, people who, uh, are psychologists who, who know the ins and outs of everything. And, you know, just sort of like fine tuning that to be a story that would ultimately have a positive impact rather than a potentially triggering one. Um, and I'm, I'm, really really proud of how that came out and what is you know ultimately a a, a marvel ip story that i you know got the chance to to write some superhero stuff in and you know, ended up making it a big sort of mental health story in a way that i don't think anybody had ever initially thought going into that we were going to do 
Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of the way it, it came out and came together. Very cool. I love that. I love that. Okay, let's move into literary briefs. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know if he adds in music. I hope he does. Is that our theme song for that? I don't dun, dun, know dun. what it is, but it's fine. <laughs> bum, bum, I just, my job is to drink and ask things. That's my entire job on the show. Okay, so the first question is, of course, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, goodness. Um, I feel like that's an impossible question to answer. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of, like, I have a lot of favorite books and comic books. Um, I don't reread a ton of stuff generally. Um, but... I think as far as stuff that I've I've actually reread, um, I'll give a, a comic book answer and a, uh, a book answer. Okay. Um, for for comic books, it's probably um, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey did a, a Young Avengers series um, that really like does a lot of really interesting things, both with story and art that. I, I never get tired of going back to and, and reading and, um, you know, they have some really interesting characters, but also just like some of the pages are just fascinating to look at because they, they do sort of unique things. Um, and then on the, on the reading side, um, it's tough because there's a lot of like serious books that you know i had to read for various things that i, I love but uh, i think if you know it was like you have to just go pick up a book that you've already read and uh read it again it would probably be um probably be either the princess bride or the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy um both of which are, are books that i feel are just infinitely entertaining and um coming away from them, I always go, oh, man, I wish I was that clever. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, I feel that way about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I love The Princess Bride. Um, Hitchhiker's is one of my favorite books of all time because I feel like you can read it and it's like watching some really good television show or whatever where you see things again for the first time, even though you know you read them, you go, mm -hmm. oh, that's actually really, really funny. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and I think if you read it like as a teenager the first time and then you read it again as as an adult, you're like, did I understand any of this the first time? <laughs> like all of these jokes, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Okay, so now it's the opposite. What is your least favorite book slash comic, I guess? We get to ask two questions for the price of one. Um... Boy, that's a tough one. Um, my least favorite. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with a play because over being in school, I had to read King Lear several times, and I think <laughs> King Lear is interminably boring. And everybody has to read it, and everybody talks about how great it is. And every time I've read it, I've been like man, this could be about half the length it is. Um, it would be much more enjoyable. He needs an editor. <laughs> yeah. I love, a, I love a Macbeth. I even love a, you know, I, I love Hamlet. Something that, uh, you know, has a, has a significant forward motion. King Lear is just <laughs> so slow. Even just the, the adaptations, like, like Ran, the, you know, Kurosawa adaptation. That's the one Kurosawa movie that I'm like, I'll pass. I don't, I don't want to watch that again. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what about a comic? Um. God, there's so many bad comics. Um, that's what that's what happens when you have to put something out every month. Is there's a lot of bad ones. Um, it's tough because I feel like comics is so. Um, because everything is so tied together, there are some things that have very like negative impacts on all of comics. Um, I think uh, as much as as technically good as it is, 
Um, I really dislike Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, uh, oh. his big Batman story, because I really think that, uh, like, between that and Watchmen, everybody learned a lot of the wrong lessons about how about making comics and for a good like 15 years comics were just like very self-serious and up their own ass because yeah. of those two books and uh i feel like it's just really in the last five or ten years that we've recovered from that <laughs> i love that okay Bo, what about you you can ask you know i will monopolize <laughs> what is your favorite comic like like superhero comic trope Ooh. um i am a sucker for like emotionally manipulative stuff in comics uh the there's Every every so often, people will pass around the uh, the panels from All Star Superman of him like just uh, stopping the girl from committing suicide by telling her that she matters, or um, you know the I think the the wildest one is maybe like and I, this this is funny because I've done it myself is like dogs in comics. Uh, people would just use dogs to wildly manipulate anybody you can immediately make somebody a bad guy by having them kick a dog or you can like make a a story that would be kind of you know mediocre sad by by adding in just like a companion dog who's there to like help and uh you know i i think um it reminds me of uh grant morrison has a short comic called we three which is about, you know, a dog, a cat, and a, a bunny who escaped from an animal research facility where they've been weaponized. Um, so they've, they've had all these sort of, you know, weapons grafted into them and everything. But the the dog is, you know, can talk, and he's just frequently asking everybody if he's a good dog. And I was just like, oh, it's so sad. He just, he just wants to be a good dog. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Okay. What about if you could go into any literary sort of comic world, where would you go and why? Ooh, um, that's a good question, because there are a lot of them I don't feel like I would survive in. Um, oh, oh, there's a ton I don't think I'd survive in. That doesn't mean I don't want to visit. I just yeah. know that it's probably going to end badly for me when I get there. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Um, uh, I think, I think uh, this is, you know, it's a sort of shared universe between comics and books and and games and or shows. But uh, I love the like uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and and uh, Korra universe world of you know the. Uh, elemental bending and stuff like that i i think that world is really cool and that's that's one that i feel like i want to spend some time in and i can maybe avoid dying immediately i feel like marvel's new york there's always just like buildings falling on people and everything else you know it's so funny i actually was thinking about that the other day because i always thought um what is it uh the one with Will Smith, where he gets in trouble for the destruction of property and all that stuff. I mean, they kind of did that a little bit in Avengers, but it's so funny when you really think about like saving the day, but they did that by toppling a building that maybe had 400 people or 5,000 people. Like nobody goes, wait a minute, how many people did they actually kill to save <laughs> a couple people? Like, yeah, just, that yeah. was. That was the problem I had with the Man of Steel movie is like, there's a lot of people died in that movie. <laughs> like just, they just trashed a lot of skyscrapers that as far as we knew it were still full bad of bad about it for like five minutes of runtime. Like they're like, there, we've talked about it. Yeah. Like, so I, I feel like Superman, like part of what makes Superman Superman is that he can save everybody, right? Like he is that fast. He is capable of, of doing those things. And when people forget that, 
I, I don't, I think you've lost Superman. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And it's, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like the storytellers have forgotten that part. Like, um, they're going down a thought process on what they want to have happen or the action. And they, yeah. you know, I think it's a, it can be a world building thing. I see that in movies too. Like you see things happen in movies. You're like, okay, that was an action scene, even if it's not whatever, but you're like, yeah, but they just, they just literally smacked an old woman and knocked her down to run past. Like, we're going to address that that just, no, we're not. Okay, cool. We're moving on, you know? Okay. <laughs> So since you're so big into comics and stuff, what superpower would you want to have? Oh, this one's easy. Teleportation. Um, I hate driving. Uh, I hate uh, commuting. Uh, I love I love to go places, though. So, like, you know, unfortunately, living in the American South, uh, it is impossible to travel by train and difficult and expensive to travel by plane. So um, I would love to just be able to teleport from place to place. That's that's mine. Okay, so now I'm going to go down a rabbit hole that because of whiskey. Um, how would that work though? Because if you haven't seen it, how would you get there? Like, how would you think your teleportation power would work? Oh, logic! Did you see that? Ooh, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Breaking I mean, the world. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, you know, I feel like there's there's a lot of ways to do this. I mean, I think, you know. But with you know uh satellite imagery and stuff like that it's it's cap you're capable of seeing a lot of places that you can go you can teleport places um and uh i don't know use of cellular signals and things now um he's but, gonna uh, google maps it before he goes yeah just google maps that sucker and i'm just like i'm going to the corner of elm and fifth right there just <laughs> if i could just take that little man and drop him on the map and that actually put me there it'd be good <laughs> Um, I um, want to say that I love that concept, but that would be a fun thing to write about because oh, if yeah. you think about it, it's kind of like how the hell do you do that? How do you help? How do you? Because even if you go there, what if something else is there? What if they put a mailbox? Who knows, right? And then suddenly you're like ah, you're impaled by a mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that I used like to it. be. I feel like I feel like they really downplayed it over the years, but that used to be part of like. Nightcrawler's power set is that he could only teleport somewhere he could see. Um, so, like, if, if you lock him in a room, suddenly he's useless. Uh, well, yeah. and I think that's something that is not touched on enough, the simplicity of disabling. Like, it's always thought of you have to have this mega thing and you have to have kryptonite to disable. But you just kind of go, well, what if you did this? You know, like... Could you disable a superhero that way? And for what reason? Anyway, I we could go down a hole creating a universe where that <laughs> happens. I, I had a really fun time at one point writing this collection called Super Useless, which were stories about people who had very useless superpowers. Mm. And there were people in the universe that had really cool ones, but these were the people that had really dumb superpowers. Like one of them, one of my friends wrote was, um, the person, when he walked around, every time he stepped, it sounded thunderous, like huge, like boom, boom. <laughs> but he's walking. So can you imagine? Like, you wouldn't want this person as a neighbor. Boom, boom. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying. But that's he. So he was in a wheelchair because he was like, I can't be anywhere because it basically rocks the world when I am walking these thunderous walks. And it, it was very funny to kind of go down this, like, what would that superpower be like for people. I wrote a girl that had us uh, to sweat glitter. So every time she sweat, it was glitter. She's a stripper, by the way, just in case you're wondering what she said <laughs> with her life. Because like what, it was kind of like, what else, what else do you do with that? Because we sweat all the time. People don't realize it, but even micro sweating all the time, but now you're glittery. You're like a disco ball. What the hell would you do with that? Yeah, that, that... She could also have been a preschool teacher. You know, they do a lot of <laughs> glitter. That's true. That is hell to clean up after, I imagine. Um, exactly. Could you imagine that all of your clothes are just covered in glitter all the time? Your entire house glitter? Because I'm a, a dust fan of glitter, but I know how annoying glitter can get, right? So <laughs> anyway, that was really, really fun. Okay, Bo, final question, and then we're going to allow Jeremy to do some shameless self-promotion. Final question. 
Oh my yeah. god. Well, I have to ask the writing snack question because it's our favorite. What is your favorite writing snack? Oh, um, my favorite writing snack. Um, I am a, I'm a sucker for uh, various little debbies. Um, if it is, you know, I, I can stop, I can just run out to the gas station and grab a snack and come back and get back to working. Um, I, my, my favorite overall, uh, are the little Debbie Christmas trees, but they're only available during the Christmas season. So the rest of the year, uh, I really enjoy like, uh, like a fudge round. Fudge rounds are really good. Oh, that could be dangerous. Like I, that would be bad for me if I sat around eating little Debbie's. Oh my God. Just eating fudge rounds constantly. You're like, oh, oh I wrote five words, fudge round. I deserve it. It's a little treat. Even yeah, that's if why I, I don't buy a... boxes of them. I have to leave them at the store so that I have to go get them in order to eat them, you know? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's not. Oh, okay. Cool. Okay. Jeremy, shameless self-promotion time. Where can people find you in your work? Uh, so I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. It's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Uh, I'm on then Blue Sky and Tumblr is just Jeremy Whitley. Uh, my website is jeremywhitley.com, uh, where you can actually see basically everything I've written. I've got a lot of stuff posted up there, um, including uh, my various new stuff. Uh, like I said, as we're recording this, uh, The Cold Ever After will be out in a, a few weeks. Uh, that's our queer Arthurian noir uh, adult book. But then uh, I just had uh, the second volume of, of my series, School for Extraterrestrial Girls, uh, come out, uh, as well as the first volume of uh, The Dog Night came out back during the summer, which is our sort of uh, adventures with talking dogs. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're into any of that, basically there's something for for every age group. Uh, you can check it out, and uh, there's lots of lots of good comics to read, and and more stuff coming. So if you follow me on any of those other places, you'll find out about that when it gets announced. Very very cool. Thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me. It's a ball. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. Um, I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Bo Lake. Don't forget, like, subscribe, do all the fun stuff so the AI knows you're listening to us. And check out Jeremy's work everywhere, and we will see you next time. 